0: Welcome everyone listening to us on the podcast and, and uh, via the internet. I want to talk today uh, about a sensitive subject, really. The title of my message is Dealing with Sadness. Dealing with Sadness. I wonder if you ever get sad. I wonder if you ever get sad. I do, I expect you do, it's true that uh, even the most uh, devout believers in Jesus, living close to him, walking in the spirit, doing everything the Bible says they should do, or at least as best as they can, even people like that get sad. Uh, Tragedy can come to our door, can't it? And sometimes, and I don't want to be too mean, but sometimes you, you can read some Christian books or you can flick on some of the religious channels and you'd be amazed to think that any of these people had any problems at all. Because there's much talk of victory, overcoming, breakthrough, you know, come along to our breakthrough night. And it's true that God gives breakthroughs, and he is a God of victory, but he's very often a God of victory in the storm, not victory from the storm. Can you say amen? And so it's funny that one of the greatest pieces of, of Christian literature about joy and overcoming uh, is the book of Philippians. Written by Paul from jail. <laughs> from if not, a, and not, a cozy, not a cozy jail, a dungeon type jail with chains and dirt and pain and rats and dripping water, you know. And yet in that circumstance, the apostle writes about victory and joy. So clearly the Bible's idea of joy and victory is maybe different to some of our ideas about it. And so from time to time, we go through, and I don't so much want to call them valleys today, I just want to name it as it is, which is we get sad. We, we lose someone in our, in, our, in our life. There's grief. Suddenly, for no reason that we could have predicted or, or foreseen, we, we, we lose our dad, uh, or we, we lose our mom, or we lose our son, Or we, or, or, or we lose a baby. Or we or we lose our job. Things, I'm not talking, about. there are some people, of course, who, who have a kind of a teenage attitude to life, which is they're sad all the time. And everything's going wrong. You know, everything's terrible. I'm not talking about, and by the way, you don't have to be 15 to be 15, do you? I've met a few people who are 45 who are a bit 15. And you know, were, everything's wrong and everything's going. I'm not talking about that. I'm, today, I'm talking about when things are genuinely very bad in our lives and, uh, and we are forced to uh, we can come and sing songs about victory but in our heart we're really very sad we've been betrayed we have lost everything, we find out that our that our wife is committing adultery or we whatever we do so what I want to talk about this morning and finishing it next week is how should we deal with these with these times? What, what do we do? The first thing we must do is we must recognize that in a sense nothing has gone wrong. If you have a victory mentality that says that if only I just confess the right scriptures, and if I just do the right sort of praying and I go to the right sort of church and I get the right person to pray for me, then none of these things will ever happen to me. Well, if you, if you believe that then that's, I guess that's kind of nice, but it's not true. Because there's no one who's immunized from these things. And what I want to do is open the Bible up these next two weeks and show you how lots of the people in the Bible went through terrible, sad times. People who God was truly with. People who God was truly using powerfully. He spoke to them. He loved them. They were part of his great team on the earth. People like King David, people like the Apostle Paul and uh, a hundred others who went through terribly sad times. So the first thing we must do in, those, in these circumstances is actually appreciate that nothing has gone wrong, or that, in a sense, it's not our faith that has malfunctioned. It's not our faith that has malfunctioned. It's not as though if we'd only done something else, then there wouldn't be such a tragedy as this. I'd just been c- caring for someone recently, very, very ill, and uh, she said to me a number of times, what have I done that's so bad that this should happen to me? And and of course, the answer is that there's nothing. It's not that she's done anything bad, at least not that I know. It just sometimes bad things happen. And as long as we're living down here on earth, bad things are going to happen. In heaven, everyone is healed. In heaven, everyone's happy. In heaven, nobody cries. He wipes all the tears from our eyes. In heaven. But down here, down here, you know, we... We are going to face these problems. So so just as a general introduction, when you go through a sad time, it's not that you may not have done anything wrong. Sometimes, let's be clear, we are the author of our own downfall. And there are consequences to our actions that lead us to disaster. But there are other times when we, we, we keep the manual, you know, we, are, we do everything it says in the manual. But suddenly we get a call and our son has been killed or... or or our father has died, or or whatever it might be. We have have no money, or or we become very sick. And I want to help us about how do we deal with this. The the first question I want to ask, which I think we'll probably cover for today, before I move on next week. The first question is, what is God doing when I'm sad? What is God doing? I think there can be a very real feeling where we're going through a tough time. You're diagnosed with leukemia and you're sitting in Anderbrook's hospital. There can be a very real thing of that Well, what, when is God going to do something? Here I am, you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm open to be healed. Or I, I'm, I'm open for something to happen. I'm open to be changed. When is God going to do something? I want to ask the question... What, according to the Bible, not not according to me, I trust, but according to the Bible, what is God doing when we go through these sad times? And I have four things from the Bible that God is doing, not will do, but is doing when we go through difficult times. Let's start. Number one, he grieves with us. When you are sad, God is also sad. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, you'll know this verse very well, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John chapter 11 and 35. It's the verse Jesus wept. What is God doing when I am grieving? The answer is, God is grieving too. It's an amazing story because Jesus arrives at this big scene. Everyone is crying. And they're crying with just a little bit of bitterness. Because, as is revealed in the story... One of the precious sisters comes up to Christ and says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. So these people are grieving, but there's also just a little, I don't want to bring something in the subtext right out into the main text, but I don't think it's untrue to say that there's a bit of bitterness there. There's a sense of, well, here's Jesus now, now, but why didn't he show up a few days ago? Because if he showed up a few days ago, we wouldn't be crying here. Now, we know the end of the story. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But, you know, we can also assume that Jesus attending many, many funerals where he did not raise anybody from the dead. But it's very interesting, just in this story, as he arrives, he sees the, he sees the grief in the people. He knows what he's going to do. He's under the control of the Father. The Father's told him, no, you must wait. Let the man die. He must be dead four days. You know, the Jews believe that when somebody died, their spirit hung around their body for three days. I don't know whether you knew this. This is what they believed. I'm not suggesting it's true. But this is what, there was a superstition. When somebody died, their spirit came out of their body and it hung around their body for three days in the hope that there might be life come back and the spirit would come back in. I'm not suggesting that's true, but that's what they believed. That's why Jesus showed up on the fourth day, because then he was for sure, he was gone. But when he gets there, he grieves with them. In the book of Romans, the apostle gives us the instruction in chapter 12 that we should rejoice with those who rejoice. And we should do what? Mourn with those who mourn. We'd be happy with everyone who's happy. Be sad with people who are sad. Now, that's an instruction for us to do. And I know that God does not give us things to do that he does not do himself. So when you are going through a time of real sadness... If your question is, well, what is God doing? I just want to tell you from the Bible and from the heart of the Holy Spirit today to you that he's sad as well. He's not laughing. He's not, he's not impartial. He doesn't have a face that's blank. He's a tear-stained face. When we struggle... He struggles too. When we have a broken heart, he has a broken heart as well. Those of you here today who are parents will know what it is to see your children in some pain, and you would you would swap places with them if you could, and you would have the pain instead of them. Where they're broken hearted, you're broken hearted as well. God is God's your daddy. He's your father. If you're upset, he's upset as well. He grieves with us. Let's look at another one. The first thing is he he grieves or he's sad with us. Secondly, he prays for us. Why don't we look at these scriptures? Turn to Romans chapter 8. And then we're going to look at Hebrews 7. It's really interesting that the Bible paints a picture of a God who prays. And it's a strange thing, a concept because we would think well God he's the one who answers prayers and he doesn't it, well, why would he pray? But he does pray. Romans 8:26 says this, in the same way the spirit the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Just that little final part there. With groans that words cannot express. I don't know if you've been so sad that actually out of your spirit does not come words but a noise. You see a man or a woman so struck with the terror of what they've just learnt or seeing that instead of words comes a ah or a a noise. It's true when people are happy too. They can make a noise, a laugh, a cry of joy. And here, it's very interesting that Paul, in in thinking about God being a prayer warrior, here in this instance, the Holy Spirit interceding. The Holy Spirit prays for us. when you have just received the most terrible news or when you are in some dark pit of depression or despair, I know that some of the simple disciplines of Christianity are not within reach for many people. They are so struck. They don't know how to pray. They don't seem to have the strength to pray. And particularly if they are not disciplined in prayer, then I tell you, it, it, that's not a time to start. Your batteries are out. Of course they are. But here's the second thing. God not only grieves where we grieve, he prays for us. It's yeah, an astonishing thing. He prays for us so earnestly that it's not, it's, it's not even words, says the apostle here, it are, it's, it's, it's groanings that words cannot express. God is praying for you today. I like that. Don't you? God is praying for me today. He's praying for you today. And the Holy Spirit is eternal. He does not grow tired. He prays for you. And He prays for you. And He prays for you. When you can't pray for yourself, or when you do not know what to pray for, as the apostle writes, rejoice because he is praying for you. You may not feel that. We hear stories every now and then oh, I really felt the prayers of people. Well, that's great, but sometimes we don't feel that. You may not feel anything changing. But he is praying for you. Let's look at the other verse. Hebrews 7. Let's look at this. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Just go over to the book of Hebrews. Here, the person praying is Jesus Christ in his role as as intercessor. It says in Hebrews 7 verse 25, Therefore, he, that's Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Did you know that the main ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in which he functions today is an intercessory ministry? Intercessory is another, it's just a fancy way of saying praying Jesus Christ, watch this, maybe you never thought about this before. Jesus Christ does not call you to pray, except to come and pray with him. Even in the gospel stories, he says to them, come away with me and pray. He never gives his disciples the charge to pray on their own. Some of you didn't hear that. It's really important that. He doesn't give His disciples the charge to pray on their own. He says to them, come away with me and pray. And He's still praying when they've fallen asleep. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. He's praying they're asleep. Uh, That's still true now. That's just how it is now. When we stop praying or when we can't pray, He's still praying. The Holy Spirit... Is crying to the Father for you, particularly in your times of desperation. And the Lord Jesus Christ always lives to intercede for us. And that's why, says the writer to the Hebrews, he's able to save completely. I think in the King James it says, to the uttermost or something like that. He will save you. He will save you. In whatever valley you're in, in whatever pit you're in, He will save you. Because He is alive and He lives to pray for you. When He dies, that's the end of everything. Thank God that's not going to happen. But for as long as there is a Christ in His role as heavenly high priest praying before the Father and the Spirit of God interceding to, you will be saved from your calamity. I think it's good news. What's God doing? Here I am in this pit. Here I am in this darkness. What is God doing? Number one, he's sad as well. He doesn't have hopelessness in his heart. He doesn't become depressed. But he does yearn and he has an emotional attachment. Number two, he gets into serious prayer. He's praying for you now. That's why, as you call on his name and put your faith in him, you truly can be saved. Number three, he observes our reactions. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8. Please look at this with me. I want you to see it in your Bible. If you're listening to me at home, just have a look at this. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2. Now, this is the little, a little bit that maybe we don't like very much, this bit. This is the bit that puts a bit more responsibility on us. But nevertheless, it's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, speaking of the wilderness journeyings of the Israelites, it says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. And then the writer goes on to, to talk about why, and it was to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, we're not so fond of this, but it's true nevertheless. How do we really know who we are? How can we know who we really are? Now, I don't want to get too philosophical today. But how do you know who you are? I tell you how you know who you are. And how I know who I am, I discover who I am when things go wrong. You want to ask me if I'm a patient man? You want to ask me if I'm a jolly, optimistic guy? Okay, ask me any time you like. But especially ask me when I have a puncture on the M6 in the rain. Ask me then. Ask me me when, when I've got out and I'm fumbling around, trying to change a tire. Ask me then when I pick up my mobile phone, the battery dies. Ask me then if I'm optimistic, content, jolly, sweet, in love with Jesus. Ask me then. Ask me, are you patient? Ask me when I've got to get somewhere and now I'm behind a tractor. Ask me then. Am I a man of faith? Am I a man of joy? ask me when I'm in pain ask me then now I know this is a little unfair because I'm talking about instances where the cards are stacked against us but nevertheless nevertheless we only really know who we are when the lights go out that's when we know who we are and God said about the Israelites he said you know what It wasn't his will for them to walk around for 40 years. That wasn't his will. But God says in this verse, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, if you haven't underlined it in your Bible, it should be underlined in red. He says to them, the fact that you had this difficult time, it wasn't God's master plan, but the fact that you had this difficult time, he said, it allowed me to test you to see what you were really all about. By the way, They failed. Didn't they? And we often fail too. If you kick a bucket of paint over and it covers the carpet with paint, the act of kicking the bucket did not put the paint in the bucket. It simply revealed what was in it. When we are kicked by life, it's what comes out of us that really reveals what's in us. I find that immensely challenging. I'm sure you do as well. So what is God doing when we go through these dark times? He does observe how we deal with it. And I want to suggest as well that when we go through these difficulties, we should also observe ourselves how we deal with it because that's showing us who how we're doing who we really are who we really are genesis 4 verse 7 it's the story of Cain and Abel and god knows that cain is mad with his brother Because Abel's offering was accepted and his was not accepted. And God says to him, be careful to do what's right. He says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must master it. It's exactly the same principle. Something has gone wrong for Cain. And God stands next to him and says, now listen to me. Listen to me. He says to him, you are the most vulnerable you've been. it's It's not, oh, happy day for you today, Cain. It's not, oh, happy day. Therefore, understand this, that when you go through a dark period, when things go wrong, you're actually more prone, you are more prone to disobey the commandments of God than ever before. You're more prone to to go to your default mode, which is self-preservation. Me, me, me. I'm the center of the universe. Everything's unfair. Why is it you're more prone to do that? By the way, and so am I. It's not a criticism, but it's supposed to the truth. We are more prone to feel sorry for ourselves. We're more prone to abandon our spiritual disciplines. We're more prone to do that. And that's why God says to him, now look, you're having a bad day. So on your bad day, be careful. Be more careful than ever. Be more careful than ever to do what is right. God observes us. Finally this morning, the fourth thing that God does is he carries us through. I'll give you a minute just to find Ecclesiastes in your Bible. It's somewhere around the middle. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. These are verses that are traditionally uh, read at weddings. And I don't know whether that's what God intended for them to be. If that, was their, if that was their place. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then this oft-quoted wedding verse, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A man and a woman, and God together. The three. But let's just pick it up earlier on. Two are better than one, because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. The Bible calls us the friends of God. We're the friends of God. Jesus said, you call me Lord, and you call me Master, and that is correct, because that is what I am. But you may also call me your friend. God is your friend. He's never your enemy. Now, the difference between God being your friend and the way sometimes we operate friendship, it's a bit like a parent. We all know, although it's very difficult to do, that sometimes the worst thing a parent can be is too friendly with the children because they create a a thing where then they can't discipline them. Right? Right? And so it's wonderful to have parents who are friends with their children, but there does come a period of their their development where it's actually not so good for mom and dad to be their best friend because it means that then it's really difficult to to tell them off or to impose some order or something like that. It becomes very, very tricky, doesn't it? So God is not a friend like that that does whatever we want, but he is our friend. And you know what? Do you know what a friend does when one falls? The other will pick him up. I have a feeling that these verses are not about God falling down and me picking God up. I have a feeling they're more to do with me falling down and God picking me up. Here I am in my dark pit. Here I am with my illness. Here I am with my grief or my despair or my depression. What is God doing? I tell you what God is doing. He is grieving with you, he's praying for you, he's watching to see how you cope with it. But above all else, you're in his arms. You're in his arms. Even though others may abandon you and forget you, yet will I not forget you, says the Lord. Even though you may be forsaken, yet I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. And during our darkest times, as that old Footprints beautiful poem would put it more eloquently than I ever could, our feet sometimes do not touch the ground because he is carrying us through one of Paul's darker moments, over in 2 Corinthians 12, he says this. When he was buffeted by some satanic thing, he prayed that God would help him. And God said, I'm not going to help you in the way that you think I am. God didn't say no to his prayer. He simply answered it in another way. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, will you take this problem away? And we don't even know what it was, but it must have been pretty bad for Paul to pray like that. He's a tough guy. He said, Lord, will you take this problem away? And God said, no, I won't. That's not what I want to do. But I don't leave you alone. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. My power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Today, it would be impossible for us to have some sort of line of people wanting prayer and pray that grace would come upon you. That would not be possible because... Whenever you are in trouble, grace comes to you. And in fact, it comes to you before the trouble hits you. There comes a transfer in the heavenly bank account, not of money, but of strength that gets transferred to you ahead of the problem. What a wonderful God. And so when you go through the difficulty... His grace is already sufficient for you. It's already there. It's already there. Not always a helicopter to come and pluck you out of the sea. But strength to endure the sea. Not always a prison door opening. Peter had that experience. In Acts chapter 12, but Paul went to prison many times and his doors of jail never opened. Instead, the grace of God strengthened him there. So what does God do when we struggle, when we suffer? He's sad. He's not passive about it. Very emotionally attached to us. He went a long way to buy us. He suffered a great deal to purchase us. He's not going to let us go now. So he grieves with us, prays for us in ways that you and I cannot understand. He's praying for you now. That's why you're going to be saved from what's going on. Number three, kinda of watches us and gently warns us, you behave yourself now in this dark time. It's not an excuse to backslide or become cold. No, no, you we're more prone to fail in our darker moments, and so we we need to we need to store up in the good times. So when the famine comes, we have things to draw upon. The reason believers, some believers become bankrupt spiritually, morally, and ethically bankrupt in their dark time is because they did not uh, store away in their barns, as it were, like in the Joseph story, in the good times. So God's watching us. We have to pass the test as best we can. And if you can't get 100%, you go as best you can on that score chart with him. And finally, he carries us. He's not far away. Though we cannot feel him, though we cannot hear him, though we begin to doubt that his presence is anywhere near us, yet his arms are always around us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let's stand. do, what the Bible exhorts us to do when we go through the the darkness. There are a few things that God lays upon us. Some things that we have to do, so don't miss next week at all. Because, of course, they go very much together. But the wonderful presence of the Spirit of God is truly here. Then I pray he ministered to you now. I don't pray that he put his arms around you. I don't pray that he will notice you or strengthen you because all those things he's already done, he does them whether we pray for them or not. But I do pray that you will know it. I do pray that you will know it, that God will, maybe in these last 40 minutes, God has maybe He's already done it, but the Spirit of God speaking to you, speaking to you, revealing this to you. Sadness can be so lonely. But you are not alone. You are not alone. I pray. Spirit of the living God, this is not a show. It's not a piece of theater. It's not a performance. I pray in the name of Jesus that there will come a great revelation in this place for every one of us of these truths.